Matt Stepp, what is your favorite non-traditional day to attend a football game? That's a great question because every day that I can attend a football game is a good day. Tep and Step, your premium Texas high school football podcast from your friends, your amigos, your internet warriors at Dave Campbell's Texas Football and texasfootball.com. I am the Tep, Greg Tepper. And I am the Step, Matt Step, and I love to be an internet warrior. Yes. Well, that's that's what we are these days, and, and I think what we've always been. Uh, did you know something I, I really think we need to mention? This is your Week 11 preview. We'll get to all that stuff in a moment, but the most important thing is we missed a really big moment in last week's podcast because last week, Matthew, was episode number 69 of Tep and Step. Nice. Nice. Uh, think about how many podcasts never make it to 69. Yeah. And we did. We did. We, we did it. Mission now, accomplished. Mission accomplished. <sighs> we can stop. Actually, this is the last episode. We're making it yeah. to 70 and we're done. Yeah, we're done. Um, so it's week 11. It's the final week of the regular season for 4A and below. It is just, uh, you know, it, it's a good – it's it's a week for the big schools too. I mean, it's, it's week seven. It's nothing – Particularly like noteworthy as far as structure structure is concerned. Uh, I will say this: it, the past couple of weeks have been solid weeks of games. This yeah. slate of games is straight up banging. Yeah, this is a strong week. This this is you don't have it. We, we won't have any trouble picking uh, games to talk about this week because no. well, I'll be honest. The last couple of weeks we get to like the fourth or fifth pick, and it's like, eh, what do I want to talk about this game? I mean, it's just not that great. So this yeah. week, no, no issues at all. It's a, it's a great week. Yeah. So there's a lot to get to, but we will start as we always do, Matthew, with your Texas high school football fun fact of the week. And um, I've got one for you. I did a little bit of the research. I, I did the research. Okay. Did the do the research like I do. Matt, <laughs> there are three UIL. 11-man teams that are playing this week that with a win can clinch their first ever undefeated regular season. I want you to name one of the three. First ever undefeated regular season. This This is tough. This is tough. I know. I dialed one up. Yeah, you did. Um, has Lindsay had an undefeated season before? Uh, they, I can tell you they have because I looked, I okay. looked at every one of the teams. So I can tell you Lindsay had an undefeated season in uh, 2014 and 1995. Okay. How about Cato Mills? Cato Mills did. Uh, Cato Mills had one in, um, let's see. 1986 and 2007. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to take one I'll more swing. One more guess. One more swing at this. Um, oh, man. It's got to be somebody that's off the radar just a tad. 
Um, yeah, I would say that all three of these are a little bit off the radar. <sighs> Huffman Hargrave? No. no. Not okay. Huffman Hargrave. Huffman right. Hargrave. They may have been uh, undefeated last year. They may have been undefeated yeah, last year. Yeah, they were undefeated last year. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, screw me. All right. Um, I'll tell you who it's not also. Uh, Lockney, big game this week against Hamlin. I would say they're considerable underdogs, but they are looking for their first district or first undefeated regular season since 1996. Hawkins is looking for their first undefeated regular season since 1979. Hearn is looking for their first undefeated season since 1961. This one shocked me. Lampasas is looking for their first undefeated regular season since 1923. Wow. Wow. But which is technically because that is that is uh, that is technically the longest potential drop broke breaker this year because the other ones. Uh, here are the answers to your question. Hidalgo, Hidalgo has been playing since 1977. Never had an undefeated regular season with a win this week uh, against Hidalgo. Uh, with a win this week against Zapata, uh, they could be uh, they could finish four zero. Technically, um, it's an undefeated regular season. I mean, hey man, yeah. Um, here's another one, and I found this rather chocolate shocking. Houston Wheatley has never had an undefeated regular season, not once. Yeah, but and they if they win, they'll be six and zero, I believe. If they can finish; they'd be six and zero. But the winner, they've been playing since 1967. The Clint Lions have been playing since 1936. And have never finished the regular season without a loss, but they have an opportunity this week uh, if they can beat uh, San Elizario. Uh, they be... Now Wheatley, uh, we, we one, one caveat on Wheatley is they played obviously PVIL yes. prior to 1967. Some of those records uh, were lost uh, over time, so there's a possibility Wheatley had an undefeated season in the PVIL. We just wouldn't have right. um, a record. This is this is based on UIL. Yeah. So yeah, we have their records dating back to 1967, which is probably when they joined the UIL. Correct. So, yeah. Yep. Um, so so there you have it. Those are teams looking. Uh, to snap long undefeated uh, season droughts uh, coming up this week in week 11. Um, um, okay, very quickly, we do have a lot to get to, but I do want to kick around um, a little bit of week 10 because I thought that there were a handful of results that ranged from surprising like impressively surprising to like straight up shocking Mm -hmm. not necessarily i would say in uh who won uh i speak of like for example timpson and mart for sure Uh, yeah i think both of those teams we consider to be favorites timpson maybe certainly less so than mart but the margins by which they did it um each won it by 53 plus Statements, uh, statements were made. <laughs> statements were absolutely made. Yeah, um, it was, it was one of those things that, like, you were in the Slack chat on Saturday when Mart was playing Bremont. And, like, I wasn't paying – I was kind of locked into college football. I wasn't paying a ton of attention to the to the high school stuff. And you just kind of dropped something in there, and you're like, so, Tepper, about Bremont giving Mart a push. 
And I looked at it, and I believe it was at that point 50 to nothing at halftime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, it didn't happen. Yeah. Mart, as I tweeted out, Mart went full Mart on Saturday. They just decided to go full Mart. And it's, it's, it's stunning. It's the, the um, level of dominance that they're showing, you know, in 2A Division Two is is – I don't want to say unprecedented, but it's we're getting to that point where, I mean, I don't know if we've seen a team in, in a division or classification, you know, be as dominant as they are. You know, we're, t- we're talking like some of the great teams of all time, that the, le- the levels of dominance that Mart is showing right now. I mean, just, just to put a fine point on it now, they did have one uh, district game that was forfeited to them. Uh, so they do have – so congratulations to Frost, who um, – who only lost one nothing to uh, uh, to Mart, but other but in their four games that they actually played, okay, in their four games that they actually played, they outscored their district opponents two hundred and sixty eight to six. That's um, pretty dominant. The, uh, they have on the season outscored their opponents four hundred twenty four to sixty seven, and some of those opponents in, in, include. Um, the four 3A teams, including a McGregor team that I think is pretty good. Um, yeah, McGregor's in one of the best, one of the you know tougher 3A districts in Division One, and, and Mart pretty comfortably took took care of McGregor. Yeah, um, it is. It, it, it's rather shocking there. And then Tempson, like that was one that we had a reporter there there for Fox, and. Um, they like it was it was 34 nothing at halftime and i was on the air and and part of my job is to make sure people are still interested in watching but i kind of like i kind of i kind of gave away the game when i told them like guys i think it's over like like joaquin is not a team that's built to come back from big deficits no built to play from behind play from ahead and, and, and let alone – like, okay, if they fall behind by seven or they fall behind by ten, it's like, okay, that's within reach for them. But, like, when it was 34 nothing, I was like, I was like, I don't want to tell you this, that they have no, ch- no shot, but, like, it would be really shocking if they were to come back and win. And sure enough, it was one-way traffic from there. Um, and, I mean, with all due respect to Norman G and with all due respect to Hawkins and with all due respect to – I would say pretty much every other team in Region Three, like it's got to be Timpsons to lose, right? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear at this point. You know, going into the playoffs, I think Timpson has established themselves as the team to beat in Region Three, and with that level of dominance, I mean, we we've kind of just just in our heads just just placed the Region Four winner in a state title game into a division one because region four, you know, Shiner, Mason and Refurio have, have had such dominance over region three in recent years. Uh, I think, I, I think Timpson ha- is, is, is showing that, that they're not going to be a, a, a pushover in the, in the state semifinal round if they get there. I, I think whoever wins region four is not going to have that automatic pass uh, to the state finals that, that we've seen in the past. I think uh, a potential Timps, I mean, if Timpson and Shiner played in a state semifinal, I, I'd be highly intrigued by that matchup and would, would yeah. probably find a way to make it, make that game if I could. That, that's a that's a really intriguing match. I think Timpson is showing that they have the ability to play with anyone in the state of Texas at, at the two A Division One level. I, I think that that's right, and that that's something that I'm I, I was I was really intrigued by is not necessarily that result, but like what that result means, like writ large, because it's like now. 
I mean, the, I mean, right now, let's put it this way. Our computer rankings have t- have Timpson fourth. Actually, our, our human rankings have Timpson fourth as well. Yeah. Um, fourth in the state. They would be the second highest ranked team in uh, in, in Region 3 is Norman G. And right now, head-to-head, the computer would install Timpson as a 16-point favorite. That's a pretty um, that's a pretty big gap. Yeah, that's a large that's, gap. That's a like, big gap. Like you even compare that to like I mean like Post. We think Post is a big favorite to come out of Region One, uh, but they would they would be uh, kind of uh, it looks like they would be seventeen point favorites over San Saba. That just speaks to how dominant Post has been. Yeah. Um, I mean it's 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 really it's really intriguing and and a lot. You know, a lot can go on it between now and then, and then and you gotta, you know, Timpson is a team that, um, you know, they don't necessarily have the pedigree to, to lean on as far as making sure that they are, um, um, you know, as far as being being a, a team that that can get it done in the playoffs. You know, we don't know that necessarily about them, but like, if past is precedent, then like, yeah, you know, they're going to be certainly the team to be in Region Three. You know, the other team that that really impressed me on this past week. Uh, we talked about it on the show last week. Was uh, was Huntsville? Yes. And um, that, pickle was there. That was a good pickle was at that game. Pickle was there, and like, I want to be. I'm. I don't think I'm in love with their offense. I think their offense is fine. Although they were without their star, their top receiver in that game. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're they're not gonna win. Huntsville's not going to throw up forty or fifty points on you. This is not how they're built. But. I mean, until somebody slows down that defensive line, like they're going to be a big problem for a lot of different teams. Hunts, Huntsville made twenty-seven to seven their way to a regional title. I mean, that's yeah. that's that 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 may just be what they do this year. They're they're. I mean, good luck scoring 20, 20 points on Huntsville's defense. I mean, that that defense right now is is. At playing at such a high level, if you can't score on them, you're not going to, I mean, breaking news, you're not going to beat them. Yeah. I mean, it is. And, and, and by the way, that's a, that's, I think a very impressive A&M consolidated offense that they just, they swallowed whole in the back. Yeah. And it's um, pretty, pretty shocking. Uh, did I miss anything that, that caught your eye from, from week 10? No, I, I was I was actually going to talk about Huntsville. I think that was the other. I, I think you know maybe the Grandview Glenrose game. Yeah, like a good a good test, like a yeah. good push for both teams, and and one of those games that like I think that's I think I think obviously, look, I don't think Glenrose is happy to lose the game, but I think both coaches are coming away from that saying like we got what we wanted, like we exactly. got we got what we wanted from it. I, th- I think so. I, I think Glen Rose that that was the measuring stick that w- that we wanted to see from Glen Rose, and I think even though they lose they lose in a close game, I, I think we see that Glen Rose is a a very solid team, and will will be a team that has to be accounted for in uh, Region Two Four A Division Two. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's close the book on Week Ten and let's move into the final week of the regular season for the small schools and the seventh week of the regular season for the big schools. We're into Week Eleven. Um, it is going to be November, full on November football. Um, yeah, time time has changed, and uh, it's it's you know last night when I was going to my game, you know it's it's pitch black at six o'clock, and I'm oh. you know mentally I'm like, am I running late? Am I running late? And I'm like, wait, no, it's only six o'clock. 
Yeah, ridiculous. Um, and so if this is your first time listening to Tep and Step, welcome. We're about to do our game draft. Step and I go back and forth selecting games that we were most interested in this week. Any game this week, any game between – we're recording this Tuesday morning. So any game between Tuesday and Saturday is available um, for selection. Once it's picked, it's off the board, and then we will close it all out with our hipster game of the week. Uh, we did a coin flip before the show. Step won the coin flip for the second week in a row. Man, about it. I'm but rolling. In a, in a very, very good week of games, you get the first pick. Yeah, so I'm going to go small school just because these small school games uh, are have a little bit more import uh, just with uh, district titles potentially being on the line. And I am going to talk about your favorite team, Greg Tepper, the Armadillos from San Saba, as uh, they will welcome the Cisco Big Damn Lobos to the graveyard for a district title game. Uh, and really a, a game that I think is going to establish uh, who potentially could be the chief challenger to post in 2A Division One. Uh, region one because if you look at the playoff projections it, this this game not only has you know your, your district title uh, implications but the winner of this game would not see post until the fourth round of the playoffs where the loser of this game is going to have to play post in the third round of the playoffs potentially so uh, barring any upsets that's basically how the, how the bracket goes so you really uh, you want to get this win because you know you want to avoid that 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 beast in post as long as you can. Um, I, th- I think this is really for Cisco, our first chance to see where the Lobos stand against an elite division one team in two a, because Cisco, you know, dropping down from class three, a in realignment played a non-district schedule entirely comprised of three, a opponents. And I believe all but one were three, a division one. Uh, opponents as well. So Cisco, uh, that six and three record, you have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because their three losses, um, if memory serves, are to Jim Ned, Wall, and now I can't think of their third. I know two of the three were Jim Ned and Wall. So I mean, uh, let's see. I can pull it up. Uh, their third loss was to Comanche. To that, that's their division, which is a, a, a really good three A Division two team. Yeah. So, I mean, Jim Ned and Wall are, are top 10, top 15 teams in three division one. So clearly those, those aren't, you know, you can excuse Cisco for losing those games. But now we get to see Cisco play against someone in their weight class, in their classification. Um, I thought Cisco last week, you know, they've taken care of business in district play uh, pretty easily. They, they did, you know, 48-7 win over Goldthwaite last week, pretty much expected. Um, I, I think the key is, is that, you know, Hunter Long, the quarterback, had really been getting it done for the most part. And I think getting Jared Fisher going, the, a second weapon going for Cisco has been key. Um, he had 123 yards and three touchdowns last week. Uh, that one-two punch in the running game is going to be big for Cisco. Uh, while you got San Saba, I, you know, San Saba actually for about a half got pushed a little bit by Coleman. And Coleman's a good team. They're, they're probably the third place team uh, in that district and for a uh, 2A Division One. Uh, but San Saba kind of did what they did late and pulled away for a 43 to 10 win. The thing that, that I've noticed about San Saba, just talking to coaches, is, you know, I talked to um, Lano coach Matt Green on a Tuesday night because he was down in Lytle scouting uh, potential playoff opponents Tuesday when I was at the Lytle Jordanton game. And we talked about San Saba because Lano, their toughest regular season game was against San Saba. And we're talking Lano, who is a 3A Division I team and ranked in the top 10. 
And Coach Green told me, told me flat out, San Saba is the most physical team they've played all year, and it's not even close. And that's coming from a 3A Division One head yeah. coach. So that kind of gives you a, a sense of, of, of the nature of San Saba and, and how tough they are. And Stone Sears, that running back, I mean, he is a load to, to bring down, and, and, mm-hmm. and he just puts up big numbers week after week. But San Saba, across the board, they're just so physical, and I, I think that's a great matchup for Cisco. It's a tough matchup for Cisco because Cisco likes to be physical as well, but I, I almost feel like San Saba does what Cisco does. They just do it a little bit better. So um, that combined with, you know, they're playing at home and weird stuff always happens at the graveyard. It's just it's just mm-hmm. one of those places where it's really tough to go get a win. I, I like San Saba in this game, uh, but I think it's going to be a really fascinating matchup because I think we're really going to finally get to see uh, Cisco uh, matching up against one of the top teams in 2A Division One. Yeah, and one thing I think is going to be very, like, fun to watch is um... – this I want to see. I I do think this game actually has a chance to be relatively low scoring, because um, I think both of these defenses are really really strong, and 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 are good at kind of taking away whatever you do best. So I think that this has a chance to to be one of those low scoring slugfest type games. Um, I think that that would that would that that would be the kind of thing that could keep Cisco in this game. If this game gets into the thirties. St. Saba's got to feel really good about that position because I think that they're, they've got the more explosive weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's kind of the thing is, is I want to see, can Cisco kind of keep this, uh, if, if they hold, if they hold San Saba under 30, like game on, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But if this thing's into the 35, if this, if, you know, St. Saba's stiff in 40 points, like I just don't think Cisco can keep up, especially against that St. Saba defense. So yeah, that's. I think it's a good pick. That is a um, a state ranked game, right? Both these teams are ranked. Yes, I believe Cisco is. Uh, I know. I know both are in the top ten. Uh, San Saba is ranked sixth, and Cisco is ranked eighth. Well, there you go. How about that? Uh, all right, that's a good pick. I'm going to be a big school snob, and okay. I am going to go to a top ten matchup in six A. It is the Battle of Beltline. As the DeSoto Eagles visit the Cedar Hill Longhorns in a matchup of unbeatens, a matchup of top 10 teams, and a matchup of teams that I think we believe, at least at present, have taken a nice step forward from last year. Yes, I would agree. Especially DeSoto. For DeSoto, look, I think that last, you know, every year, basically, like DeSoto's, DeSoto's the same, the same team every year. And what I mean by that is the expectations for them don't really change. Um, they are expected to contend for a state championship every single year, hard stop. And last year, they fell short of that. And I think one of the big reasons that they fell short of that is. Uh, I think that their defense was uh, what I don't want to say porous, but I think that their defense uh, left something to be desired. And 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 as a result, like while their offense was pretty good, I think that their defense did, in some games did not give them a chance to win. Especially in their in their games against more elite competition. I mean, you know, Correct. the games the games they needed to win, right? You know, they they they, they struggled. Well, so far. So far, there is plenty good reason to believe 
that their defense has taken a step forward. Uh, they have played um, – I would say that they have played two really really solid teams um, in Converse Judson and then Cedar Hill Trinity Christian. Uh, and their defense has been really solid against both of them. Yes. In fact, they, 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 they shut out – what was it, the note? They shut out Judson for the first time since 05? Uh, it was a yeah. I can't, yeah. It, it had been a double digit years since Judson had been yeah. shut out. And, you know, they, they, the Trinity game, and I, I think Trinity, Cedar Hill Trinity scored in the 20s, but I believe they, they were basically gifted 10 points to start the game. Soto was down 10 nothing like a minute into the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe DeSoto got it. There was a safety and then a kickoff return for a touchdown in that game. So DeSoto got down 10 nothing early and then kind of put the clamps on, on Cedar Hill Trinity the rest of the game and blew them out. Well, and DeSoto's got dudes all over the field. Um, you know, Shamar Turner, the defensive end, I think is going to get a lot of a lot of um, attention, and rightfully so. But I think that secondary is very good. I think that defense is excellent. Um, okay. Then you go to the Cedar Hill team. And Cedar Hill is a team we think has taken a step forward. Kind of I, – I would, I would say like the entire team has just kind of taken a nice step forward. Um, I think that the offense, which was a little bit slow going in the early part of the season, uh, has started to pick up the pace uh, mm-hmm. behind quarterback Caden Salter. And I do think that their defense is better. Like I think their defense is 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 better. I think it's faster. I think it's more sound. And it's I'm more experienced overall. I mean, they they've they've Cedar Hill's defense is pretty underrated. They've been pretty good this year. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Yeah. They've been they've been very good. Well, and in fact, they bring back uh, seven starters from that defense from last year. You know, so they they do they are relatively experienced. I think I, I hate to be like obvious guy, but you know I think this comes down to like which quarterback seizes the moment. You've got two great quarterbacks, two quarterbacks I have a lot of respect for, and Samari Collier, the quarterback for DeSoto, who I think has really improved at least in the early going, uh, and then Caden Salter, the Tennessee commit, who's just awesome. Um, you know, I hate to be like Mr. Obvious, but like going up against what may be, in fact, the best defenses that either one of them have seen this year, like who is able to kind of crack that code, yeah. who's able to kind of push it through. That's that's what I'm going to keep my eye on. Um, it, it's one of those things that that I think, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of DeSoto Cedar Hill games that end up being like shootouts. Um, I don't see that here. I think the defenses are too good on both sides to let this thing get 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 too wild, but it's going to end up coming down to like one or two plays that the quarterback that that, that the quarterback's going to have to step up and make. And I think it's I think I think I think this has a chance to be one of the most interesting uh, battle of belt lines we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've got like you said, Salter's a Tennessee commit, and Collier, you know, he's committed to Illinois, so you've got a Big Ten quarterback against the SEC quarterback commit in this game. Um, I think that the the edge for DeSoto, because I, I like DeSoto in this game, I think Collier's got more experience and better better weapons at the skill spots. I think he's got more, quote-unquote, help at the skill positions, which I think is going to be needed when you're going up against that really good Cedar Hill defense. So yeah. that's kind of why I like, like DeSoto. But I, I think this this matchup, these two elite quarterbacks going against elite what we think are elite defenses, it's going to be a really fascinating matchup. I think it will be too, and and I think that um, you know I'll, I'll also say this didn't see didn't Cedar Hill get their game with Allen canceled because they did. Allen had, and <laughs> and they were and they were chirping about it 
They were. They were. Caden, Caden they Salter was chirping about it. Yeah. And, you know, DeSoto lost lost the Prosper game. So both of these teams lost really games that we thought would have been really elite tests going, going into this matchup. So I think this will be a great litmus test. And you know what? The winner uh, next week probably takes on Duncanville because the 11-6-8 gets into their crossovers because they're, they're divided into zones right now. Yeah. And they'll start to cross over into the other zone uh, starting next week. And so the winner of this game more than likely gets uh, Duncanville. Fun, fun, fun. All right. What is your second pick? Uh, I'm going to say big school as well. And I'm going to go down to the Houston area in a game that I think we probably talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so we'll just <laughs> talk about it again as Katie takes on Katie Tompkins in a game that has been rescheduled now three times. <laughs> so, so it, it, Katie and Tompkins were supposed to play a couple of weeks ago, uh, and then uh, the game got moved back due to uh, COVID concerns, and they moved the game to November the 13th. Well, then they decided to move it up a week because Seven Lakes had COVID concerns. So, K- KDISD has been very flexible with their schedule, but it's been working so far because they've been able to get most of their, their, their games have been getting played. They've just been kind of shuffling around by weeks. So, uh, Thursday night, we are, as of now, it's Tuesday, it's, it's election day at 10 a.m., so go vote. Um, mm-hmm. Katie and Tompkins are supposed to play Thursday night, so fingers crossed this game happens. And uh, uh, Tepper, uh, we were talking about defenses just a minute ago, and I think we may have to talk about defenses again because I think the first one to 10 may win this game. Huh. Because, because you've got Katie, who has allowed a uh, believe 44 points in five games total. Uh, and they have not allowed uh, – basically, they've, they've only allowed seven point, seven or ten points the last three weeks, if memory serves correctly. So we're talking about a defense in five games that's allowing uh, about eight points a game. Uh, in fact, the last three weeks, Katie's allowed ten points total. Three points to seven legs. They shut out Cinco Ranch. Last week, they beat Dickinson 49-7. to seven. And then you got Tompkins, who in five games has allowed a total of 28 points. And they have pitched three straight shutouts. And their only points they've allowed in the last four weeks was via a kickoff return for a touchdown against Clear Springs. So these two defenses just simply don't allow you to score points against them. So something's got to give in this matchup uh, because both these defenses have just been dominant. Uh, you, You throw in Katie. And their incredible winning streak that they've had against KDISD schools, they, they've just completely dominated KDISD. I know you threw out the stat when we talked about this game a couple of weeks ago that the last win was Cinco Ranch like in 2007, I believe, is when mm-hmm. the last KDISD school beat Katie. Um, and this sophomore quarterback, Caleb Coger, has continued to improve week after week. Katie's got a, a, a bevy of running backs. The, the Davis brothers, a senior running back Jalen Davis, his little brother Seth, the sophomore. Um, they've been able to rotate those guys in and, and keep fresh backs out there. It's it's just been – Katie's kind of gone old school on us, and, and it's it's really effective because they're getting it done with, with solid defense, a running game, and an effective play-action passing game. Then you look at Tompkins, and obviously the Alabama commit, Jalen Milrow, a quarterback. Um, I think their offense is starting to kind of get going because the first two or three weeks, Tompkins' offense really kind of was stuck in neutral. Um, They have a very young offensive line. They had to replace, I believe, all five starters on the offensive line, so I think it's taken them some time to get going. Now now they've got good running backs. Sherman Smith and the Tulsa commit Marquis Shoulders, excellent, excellent running backs. 
I think the key for Tompkins it, to beat Katie in this game is they've got to they've got to find that number one receiver. They've got to find some receivers who can make plays and really stretch that Katie defense. Because if you're one dimensional, you're not going to beat Katie. The, the way to beat Katie is you've got to be balanced. You can't just be one dimensional because Katie's they're just too talented and too well coached uh, to let a one dimensional offense beat them. So I think Milrow in the Tompkins offense, if they want to win this game, they're going to have to push the ball vertically down the field and stretch out that KD defense a little bit to hopefully open up running games, running lanes for uh, Smith and shoulders. Um, if you, if you talk about, you know, KD, excuse me, having, having that um, mental edge over KD ISD opponents, I don't think they have it as much in this game. Cause I don't, I don't think Tompkins is going to be in awe of KD. They played him close last year. It's not going to be something they're intimidated by. Um, so I, I think, the, I don't think, I think you throw that out the window, but I, I like KD because um, this is tough to pick against them. Um, until proven otherwise. And I just don't know if Tompkins can push the ball vertically enough downfield to, to get enough points against Katie. Yeah, that's going to be the big question. The big question is, can they like loosen up the defense and, 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 and then let kind of the running game cook? Because if they, if, if you let, um, if you let Katie pin their ears back, like the game is over, like the, we may as well not play anymore. Like that, that's how it's going to be. And so the, the, the onus is going to be on Jalen Milrow and that receiving core to take the top off the defense and make them think about it, make them respect it. Don't let them sink down into the box or sink up. And so you can't like, think and dunk your way through. Now um, I am, I'm interested in this. I think that, you know, I was interested in it three weeks ago. I'm interested in it today. Um, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. And I think you're right. I think Katie Tompkins' defense has been one of the real surprises um, surprise, maybe the wrong word. Uh, the real, um, um, uh, impressive, um, units this year. So we thought of, they'd be good. I don't know if we thought they'd be this good. Yeah. And one of their best players that we thought was going to be with him is he, he's in with him. Um, oh, God, I, and I'm going to butcher his name, but the kid oh, who transferred. Tunmis Odiebo or something? Yeah, and I, if, if someone would please send me the correct, correct pronunciation of his yeah. name, I would like to make sure we get that right because um, I don't want to butcher um, the young man's name. Uh, but but he's a great player. He, he's not even I me. Mean, he, he was supposed to go to IMG, and then the, then the pandemic happened, and I think he came back to Tompkins, but I think he basically opted out of the, of the season this year. So um, just think how good this defense would be if they had him as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's a good one. That's going down. Is that when is it now? Is it Thursday night at uh, I believe it's Thursday. At, it's Thursday night at Legacy. So if you're looking for a game to watch Thursday night, that's probably uh, the one of the butt groove games to keep an eye on Thursday night. All right, let's go to my second pick. My second pick. I'm going to the Panhandle, uh, and let's talk about the 63rd consecutive year that Amarillo and Amarillo Tascosa. We'll go at it. Uh, of course, a beautiful Dick Biven Stadium uh, there in, in, in Amarillo. They call and, it Hell Week this week. It's called Hell Week. And it's a – look, um, I think there's a lot on the line here. Um, I think there's a lot on the line here. Um, when you're taking a look at District 2-5A Division One. Um, I think, you know, Lubbock Coronado is going to be – a, a problem for every for everybody. They're going to be a a problem. But like, I you know, I don't think that Lubbock Coronado is so head and shoulders above either of these teams 
that you say, oh, well, then this is a fight for second place. Like, I think both of these teams are good enough to beat to, to beat Coronado if things break right. Um, this is a really interesting stylistic clash. Um, of course, Tatiosa runs the, uh, the flex bone. The flex bone is uh, no fun to defend. Um, but they are, they, they just kind of, Major Everhart's probably the, the best running running back they have, but they spread the ball around to a bunch of different guys. They don't have um, Joseph Plunk. Like, they don't have the guy who is like, oh, we're one of those old school offenses, but we've got the guy. Like, they don't have that. They don't have the maestro, the conductor, you know, that, 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 that makes it, makes it all, that made it all go so smoothly the last couple of years. Correct. Um, but they, they just spread the ball around and, and, and they do a good job. Like the, the, the flex boat operates like it's supposed to, you know what I mean? It's just, you, it's misdirection. You don't know where it's going. Going up against Amarillo, uh, which like, I mean, look, like I think the big question is like, who's going to play quarterback? Like they, they have been in like, they've been in such a weird way quarterback wise. So they have a great quarterback at, at the start, the starting quarterback in Will Maynard. Will Maynard gets banged up three, four weeks ago. Uh, we haven't seen him since. They bring in Brock Wade. Brock Wade comes in, handles his business pretty well, but he got knocked out at one point, uh, uh, or, you know, earlier this year. I believe he was ended up coming back the next week, but like he has not been, um, you know, in there. You know, he, he has not been consistently in there either. It's fair to say he's probably less than a hundred percent. Yeah, so they've had to rotate through a lot of different guys, which I think puts a lot of the onus on Tavion Hood or Tavon Hood, their running back, to get the running game going. Uh, but the one thing that I think is going to give um, is going to end up telling this game is the defense, and most specifically, who's able to uh, kind of dominate at the point of attack, who's able to. Um, uh, who's able to, to come up with, with big plays. And the question for me is going to be, like specifically, Amarillo has traditionally been okay slowing down the flex bone. About average, they, I would say. They play it every year, so they're, they're, they're more well-equipped to defend that, that offense than most because they see it every year because they play Tascosa yearly. So they, they're, they're well-versed in it. They're more well-versed past- than others. In past years, the past couple of years, Tascosa has been, uh, for a flexible team, they've been a, a kind of a, a, a let's out gun team, uh, teams, opponents type of team. Their defense, I think, is a lot better this year, at least in the early going. I think their defense is a lot better, and I think that may end up being the difference, um, especially against what figures to be, at the very least, a, a less than 100% Amarillo attack. I would love, I would love this game a lot more if Will Maynard were 100 percent and he were healthy. I think that would really add a different element. But I think right now there's enough things pointing to Tascosa, um, like that they're going to be able to. I think uh, I think they're going to be able to, to, to kind of take advantage of what's a little bit of a wounded Amarillo team. And you know, Tascosa the last couple of years has been the favorite in this game, and Amarillo's found a way to upset him in back-to-back years. I, mm-hmm. I, I think this is one Tascosa really wants, and I think they've got their shot um, against, like you said, an, an Amarillo High team that probably isn't isn't going to be a hundred percent going into this game. So uh, I think Tascosa, you know, a lot of the signs point to uh, to Ken Plunk's squad in this ball game. I think you're right. What is your third pick, Matthew? 
I'm going to head out to Beast, Texas for a district title matchup in district, I believe this is 7-4-A or maybe 8-4-A, one of them, uh, Division Two, as Texarkana Pleasant Grove visits Jeff Trailer Stadium to take on the Gilmer Buckeyes. And Gilmer, I, I think, is is – they clearly had this one circled. Uh, they've had a rough three years going against Pleasant Grove, losing five in a row to the Hawks, including back to back playoff losses. And and I think they've got this one circled because number one, I think they feel like they're a better team this year, and I think they're they're, they're getting a Hawks team that that clearly uh, is, is wounded as well. Uh, if you didn't know. Uh, you know, they're, they're two stud defensive linemen. Uh, both SEC commits are, are out for the year. Uh, we knew Marcus Burris was out. He got injured in the preseason, uh, the uh, A&M commit. Uh, and then LSU commit Landon Jackson, I think I believe a couple weeks ago, um, was also knocked out for the year with, with an injury as well. So uh, you take away two studs from that Pleasant Grove defensive line, and, and that Pleasant Grove defense is a lot less – uh, formidable than it used to be. Still good. You still got Nick Martin back there. Um, you've still got got some playmakers on the defense, but it's not quite the the juggernaut defense that that it once was. Um, and Gilmer, on the other hand, I think this Gilmer team looks a lot more like some of the great Gilmer State title teams because they're they're slinging it around a little a lot more. You know, Gilmer had kind of morphed into more of a power running team in the past three or four years, and and with Brandon Tennyson operating the offense at quarterback. I, I think that the Buckeyes ha, have really gotten that passing game, that that up tempo kind of um, you know real real temp, real up tempo attack. They've kind of gotten that going again, and, and Tennyson has really shown to be an operator of that offense. I think he's going to start getting he's he's already getting some Division One looks. He's got a lot of playmakers out wide with Mason Hurt, who played quarterback last year, and uh, and the Fluellen kid at receiver. I think Gilmer's got a lot of weapons to test that Pleasant Grove secondary, which is probably the, the area of the, of the defense that you want to test the most. Um, last week, they played Paris-North Lamar, and no offense to North Lamar, but it wasn't a game. It was 54 to nothing. Gilmer basically played their JV the entire second half. Tennyson didn't even play. He was held out for precautionary measures. Um, didn't, didn't, need him as, didn't need him at all, um, and Gilmer just dominated from, the, from start to finish. Uh, Pleasant Grove, uh, you know, they, they took on Liberty Ilo, 47 to 6. I, I think Pleasant Grove, with, with the questions they have on defense, I think the offense is starting to come around. Nick Martin, uh, Logan Johnson, uh, the freshman running back Jalen Bordley, uh, I think they're start, starting to get it going. And, and the quarterback, Jalen Woodside, I, I think, you know, he's going into his 10th game this week or ninth, ninth or 10th game this week. He's I think he's got that experience under his belt a little bit more. So I think Pleasant Grove's offense is starting to come around. Uh, but I've got some questions about the defense just because of the injuries. Um, on paper, you know, you probably give Pleasant Grove the edge, and the computers give Pleasant Grove the edge. I think this might be this. I think this might be the year Gilmer gets Pleasant Grove. They're at home. A lot of the wind is blowing towards Gilmer. I think the Buckeyes get the upset this week and knock off Pleasant Grove. I'll even go a step further. That I think this is a chance for Gilmer. Um, to really come out and make a statement. And kind of take that crown even, back as the team to beat in East Texas in 4A Division Two. well, at least in Region 2, because we know, we know I, the team to beat in East Texas is in Division 2. Because I think that, honestly, I think that this is a Gilmer team that is flying under the radar somehow. 
Uh, now maybe it's because like their big their big matchup with with Carthage didn't go well, right? But that's but I mean look up and down their resume. Like they have a win over Lindale, right? <laughs> they have a win over Gladewater. I know it's a three A, but really good three A. Uh, they have a win over Henderson. Like this is a re- this is a very good team that I think is flying under the radar. And furthermore, I think they're pissed. I think they're pissed. I think they look across the field and they see the team that has just that like they have just beaten them around and just like knocked them around and dominated them. <laughs> took their, I mean, they took their crown from them. I mean, Car- yeah. Carthage is, is new to Division Two. Carthage has been in Division One. Them notwithstanding, Pleasant Grove basically just three years ago just went in and, and just basically shoved Gilmer down and said, "This we're, we're the team to beat now." And yeah. you're, you're, we're gonna we're gonna we're for lack of a better term, we're gonna beat your ass and you're gonna like it. And that's what they've done the past three years. Like, because that's the thing. Like, what? Because what is? Have they played five times? Five times in the last three years. Five times in the last three years, and PG's won every single one of them, and most of them relatively convincingly. Correct. Like, I believe the first meeting in 2017, they won by three, and I believe in the regular season two years ago, they won 14 to nothing. But the last three have been straight up blowouts. They've been they've been butt kickings, and I think I think Gilmer's pissed. I think Gilmer, and and if you're talking about an opportunity at home, on on your own turf against let's be honest, a wounded Pleasant Grove team. I think this is, I think this is a a statement game for Gilmer. And I think that they go, no, no, no. Region two goes through us like it should. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is one of those kind of retrenching type games where they say, no, no, no. Like we're, we're, we're re grabbing the narrative like for us. And I'm very interested. I think it's I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I too like Gilmer. I too like Gilmer. In, the, in, in I guess you'd call it an upset. Uh, computer has it as a pick'em. Um, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, computer has it number four versus number six. Number four plus and versus number six Gilmer. Um, I think it's great. I think it's a fantastic game. I'm very excited. All right. I am going to go. I'm going to stay in the panhandle. I'm panhandle tepper today. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. I am. Oh, you're turning your back on the bay handle. Oh, look at this. Uh, I 806 Comfort Tepper. Greg.tepper at texasfootball.com. Greg.tepper at texasfootball.com. Uh, oh, boy. Well, here's a question, Matt Step, and let's let's make some people mad. Is Childress the panhandle? Yes. Okay, you're calling the panhandle. Yes, I call it the panhandle. It's right kind of in between three regions, right? Of like it is. They they panhandle South Plains and Wichita Falls. They get Amarillo TV stations, so Oh, okay. We'll, we'll call them Amarillo. We'll call them Amarillo area. Well, let's go to Fair Park Stadium in Childress for a really fantastic matchup as the Childress Bobcats welcome in the number one Canadian Wildcats in 382. And 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 this this kind of, and I'm certainly not predicting a similar fate, but I also think this falls under the category of what we were talking about last week with Martin Fremont, in the sense that it has been a long time since we have seen Canadian play anything approaching an interesting game. Yes, they've been they've been pretty dang dominant. Let's just be honest. Because like the last time, because really the game that we were most excited about was back on October second with Spearman, and still would like to see that. We're not going to, Um, but Spearman 
um, ends up like Tyrion has has the Rona and they can't play that game. They have to forfeit it. Um, and so, yeah, so now you're dealing with a Canadian team that the last time they played an interesting game was on September 11th when they played Bushley. Like, that's the last time they played an interesting game. Since then, all I don't know anything about this team from Kansas they played at the last minute. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're nice people. Um, but since then, are they, they're uh, from Kansas. We, we know how you feel about Kansas, Greg. Uh, since then they beat Amarillo uh, Highland Park by 75. They beat Dimmit by 78. They beat Friona by 60, no 59. And then they beat Tulia by 70. They have not played an interesting game. Um, now I think Childress is a decidedly interesting opponent. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think this is a children's team that can test them, that can push them, uh, if anything, because they're a team that uh, I think can score. I, I think this is a children's team that, uh, that, that's that got a, a, a number of weapons um, out there, including Colin Bishop, their quarterback. They've got this freshman running back, Darian Mathis, who's been a real uh, uh, star for them. Uh, but this is an offense that can score. Uh, that's not to say that the defense is, is any slouch either, but you know that's going to be the big question: is can yeah. they slow down? Uh, can they slow down uh, that this offense, uh, Joshua Colwell and company, uh, who have not, who I mean, I don't think they've played a competitive second quarter, let alone a fourth quarter. Yeah, and I, I don't think Josh Colwell's thrown an incomplete pass in like three weeks. I mean, he's just been <laughs> just putting up just. I mean, it, every time I look up in, on, on a Canadian game, it's thirty-five nothing in the first quarter. I mean, it's just. Like crazy. And so here is a measuring stick, right? First of all, I do think Childress has a puncher's chance in this game. If they can go out there and they can find a couple of stops and they can confuse and, 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 and throw some looks at Josh Caldwell that he hasn't seen in months um, and, and and come up with a couple of, of stops, I think that they've got a chance to, to move the ball. I think they got a chance to score. Um I also think that this is an important measuring stick for Canadian going into the playoffs. The team we have as the number one team in two A division or three A division two, uh, a team that's 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 probably got all eyes on Gunner in a in, a, in a, another semifinal. Uh, where do they stack up? Because this is our last chance. Because by the way, I hate to break this to you, but when they get into region one, I mean, uh, when's yeah. the next time they're going to play an interesting game? Yeah, I mean. I mean, it's, they'll run into Idaloo at some point, and I think yeah. Idaloo's pretty good. Idaloo probably in the third round, uh, you know. They could end up seeing Spearman again and actually getting the play. Yeah, they actually get to play Spearman. Yeah, I, I might. Yeah, I, I, I think deep down Chris Ketting is hoping that Childress pushes them a little bit. Yeah. I think Canadian needs this. I, I think this is a game that, that, you know, I think the perfect scenario for Canadian would be that Childress pushes them and Canadian pulls away in the fourth quarter and has to play their starters into the fourth quarter and wins comfortably going away. Um, and I think that may actually happen. I, I think Childress is, is good enough uh, to play with Canadian and, and, and keep this game close for about three quarters. I just, I just feel like Canadians, Canadians is too, too, too good. All too, they just execute too, at too high a level on the offensive side of the ball. I, I just don't know if Childress is going to be able to get enough stops. I, I think Canadian pulls away. For a, I, I would say a forty-nine to thirty-five, forty-nine twenty-eight kind of game. I think that's, I think that's right. I think I think right now, like my question is, can can Childress slow down Canadian? I'm just not sure they can. Uh, so yeah, but I am interested in it, and especially like a road test. Um, this is this is an important game for Canadian 
to just kind of uh, recalibrate before they get to the playoffs. All right, what is your fourth pick, Matt? I'll go a little off the board, Tepper, and head down and visit our friends in the Rio Grande Valley. As we've got a one of the better rival- the- Oh, you're not, picking, you're not picking the game I thought you were picking. No, 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 no. That might be your hipster game. <laughs> I don't want to steal think, that. Yeah. I'm uh, going <laughs> to go uh, to the Snakeskin Classic as Sherryland and ISD rivals Sherryland and Pioneer hook up in a really big game in the District 16 5A uh, West Zone uh, in Division 2 because I think these two teams are – two of the prime contenders in that zone along with the uh, mission vets. And, you know, you throw in the rivalry aspect. Um, this is a big game down there in the Rio Grande Valley because Pioneer ha- has really established themselves uh, as one of the top teams in the Valley, but Sherryland, they're sitting over here going, Hey, you know, we're, we're not, we're no, we're not chopped liver over here. We're still Sherryland. Uh, and, and so I think this is, this is a game where there's, there's a little bit of testiness in this game. There's no doubt about it, but there's a lot of mutual respect as well. Uh, and I think we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams because we, we haven't we haven't really seen a lot them a lot yet. You know, Sherryland um, played two weeks ago against McAllen Rowe and and won thirty four to twenty four. Looked pretty impressive, but then they had their game last week uh, canceled due to uh, COVID concerns. Sherryland, on the other hand, uh, is two and zero. They ha- they lost one. They lost their game. Uh, three weeks ago due to COVID, but they've played twice. Uh, they have a common opponent. They played Roe in the season opener and beat Roe 49-28. And then they opened up zone play uh, last week with a easy 56-16 win. And in Pioneer's offense, you know, it starts and ends with Eddie Lee Marburger. Uh, the noted nephew of Ishmael Johnson, uh, Ishmael calls him his nephew. Uh, he is a DCTF favorite and he puts up big time numbers every week. And, what, what amazes me the most about Marburger is I can't believe uh, he's still committed to UTSA. I cannot believe that a bigger school hasn't come calling as of yet uh, because he's he's special. I mean, we talked about Landry Gilpin a lot when he was at Mission Vets. Mar- Marburger is is a – and Gilpin was a great high school player, and he's playing Division three football uh, at Southwestern University. But when you talk about Marburger, I mean, we're talking about a great high school player who's also a bona fide Division one uh, quarterback. Uh, he he can do it all. He's got the arm. He's got the he can run, and he's tough as well. We saw that last year in the playoffs against Bernie Champion. He's got incredible toughness, and he's got a lot of weapons. They're young, you know. They they, they graduated a really good senior class, but he's got plenty of plenty of weapons at his disposal um, to make things happen. And I just feel like Pioneers' offense um, is going to be it's going to be hard for anyone down in the Valley to slow them down. And, and I think pioneer wins what I think is going to be a shootout uh, in one of the better, you know, the Valley's got some of the best rivalry names in the state of Texas, you know, you get the battle of the Arroyo, the Tanaco bowl, and you got the snakeskin classic. And I think pioneer, the diamondbacks take down the rattlers in the snakeskin classic, uh, you know, a shootout. I think first one to 50 wins this ball game. Yeah, I think this could be fun. And, and I am, I'm very interested to see how, um, how Sherilyn attacks Pioneers, like defense attacks Pioneers offense, because I'm just not sure how, um, how they're going to do it. Like, I'm like, like they've got to mix it up because they're going up against the best player in the Valley and, and they've got to find a way to slow him down. You're not going to stop him. You're not going to stop Eddie Lee Marburger, but you, you can, you can limit the damage that he does. And I think a big part of that is I think you got to make him dink and dunk his way down the field because where Eddie Lee Marburger kills you is he will take 
a play that looks like it's like most most quarterbacks would only turn into like a four yard gain, and he turns into a forty yard gain. That's where it kills you. And so it's super important, I think, for for how Sherilyn attacks him defensively. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, I let's see. I am going to go Friday night. Let's go to East Texas. And let's talk about the Longview Lobos welcoming in the Highland Park Scots. Um, And, okay, there's a lot to get into here. And 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 I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start here. Okay. First of all, I do think that Longview has picked themselves up off the mat since since the open. I think oh, that sure. there is sure. going to be a notion of oh no, like here we go, like like oh Longview's down. They lost Haynes King. And and look, I think if you I think if you talk with John King and you don't have to pump a full truth serum, he'll just tell you the truth. I think he'll just tell you we just laid a turd in the opener. Like we were just we were just bad. Um, and, and I think that he was, I think he's right. Uh, I think they were bad. Um, now, uh, I think they figured it out. And I think what's happened is they've, they've gone back to basics. They've gone back to what they do well, which is just out muscling people. Like they just, they run the ball well. They've gotten Caden Merritt going. They've settled in, uh, offensively and the defense is starting to just knock heads. And that's, that's kind of where their, their strength kind of always has been. Uh, now, they are taking welcoming in Highland Park. And I'll tell you why I'm stalling. And here, I'll tell you exactly why I'm stalling. Um, here's a big qu- – okay, no, first of all, there's a lot I like about Highland Park. I think Braden Shager's really stepped in in a nice way. I think that defense, what they did to Rockwall a couple weeks ago, really turned a lot of heads. Uh, I think a lot of people were looking around saying, "Whoa, okay, uh, that's some, that's some serious business." If you're able to do that, that Rockwell um, game for sure was the one that really made me go, made me stand up and take notice of Highland Park. Absolutely, okay, that was really that was really impressive, and and, and the defense continues to play really well. Um, now, I will say that I think they're playing a much more physical team in Longview, but never never mind all that. Never mind all that, Matt Step. When's the last time Highland Park left the Metroplex? Oh, wow. Or the greater Metroplex. Because I'll tell you, they played College Station in Waco in 2018. That's what and, I was going to say. And, and, and so if you're talking about this is the longest road trip since, I've got to be honest. I'm rolling through their schedules, and I am now back to 2010, and there's nothing there. So now we're in 09. I mean, it has been a long time since they have gotten on a bus and gone anywhere of note. I and wonder like, if the last time they traveled was when they – like literally when Matthew Stafford was there and they lost – they beat Marshall in the state championship game in Tyler. Yeah, I mean, look, they played Midway. They played Midway in the playoffs in 2008 in Corsicana. Like – I mean, you can kind of squint and make that the 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 the, the if, if you want, but like they don't like that's the thing, they don't travel. Yeah, they don't travel, uh-uh. and so now here you go, uh, here you go, here it is. I think I found it. 
on November 23rd, 2007, they played a playoff game at Rose Stadium against Kilgore. Okay. Okay. That is probably the last like comparable road trip. Yeah, and I, I think they went to I think they went to Shreveport and played Texas High uh, in a playoff game out in Shreveport once, but that was I think before that. Yeah. So we're talking about like. 13 years since they've gone, gotten on a bus and gone. And so how do they handle that? This is a new experience. Uh, look, I think I think Highland Park's your favorite. I think that they're going to be able to move. And I think that that defense has proven itself to be really, really strong. Uh, but there's a huge question mark in this one, which is how does Highland Park travel? Because we just, like, we don't know. This was one of the questions. It's funny. I went back uh, during the offseason and I listened to our Teppin step before the first Duncanville North Shore title game. And one thing you brought up was North Shore doesn't leave Houston. Like yeah. a huge question is how are they going to handle like traveling? And I think the same question has to be asked of Highland Park because they don't travel. They never do. They never leave the Metroplex. They play every playoff game at the Star or at AT&T Stadium or at like Mesquite Memorial or something like that or at Allen Eagle Stadium. They mm-hmm. never leave the Metroplex. Here they are getting out into them woods. And, yeah. and, and they'll be uncomfortable too. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be uncomfortable Friday night. Long, long playing at Lobo Stadium is not that's that's a tough atmosphere to play at. You you've I mean, obviously it's different with the pandemic, but as as tough as an atmosphere as you can have, Longview will have it. They'll they'll have as many people as they can fit in there with the guidelines, and they'll be loud and they'll be yelling and they'll be they'll they'll make life difficult for Island Park. There's no doubt about that. I love it. I love it. I think this game's super interesting. And, 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 and if anything, like I said, I think Highland Park's the favorite, but I am just really interested in the, the, the things around that game. All right, what is your fifth and final pick, Matthew? It's tough. This is tough, but I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back out to East Texas. East Texas is, is loaded up this week with great games. I'm going to go back out to East Texas in District 9-4A Division One, where the district title is on the line. As the Lindale Eagles visit St. John's Stadium in Kilgore to take on the uh, Kilgore Bulldogs uh, in a game that I, I think really, I, I think the winner of this game, you, you look, we talked about where San, uh, Cisco and San Saba, the winner of that game was was going to get to uh, avoid uh, post for an extra round. Mm-hmm. I, I think you've got a similar situation here uh, with Lindale and El Campo. I mean, Lindale and Kilgore because the winner wouldn't see potentially El Campo until the uh, regional final. The loser, if El Campo takes care of business against Neville, would see El Campo in an area round playoff matchup. Yuck. So there's a lot on the line here just from a playoff path standpoint, not to mention uh, the district title. Um, both of these teams, I think, have been what you would expect. They're, they're the, clearly the two best teams in this district. They've dominated uh, pretty much, you know, from the beginning of district play. Uh, Lindale blows out Palestine fifty-two to twenty last week. Kilgore blows away Athens forty-nine to fourteen. And you've got a great running back matchup with Travion Epps from Kilgore, uh, Jordan Jenkins from Lindale, the Baylor commit. Um, you know, they've got uh, secondary pieces as well. Eric Williams from Lindale is a, a great two-way player. Uh, Donovan and Atkins does a little bit of everything for the Kilgore offense. I, I think this game comes down to two things. Uh, Lindale, I think their balance on the offensive side of the ball uh, is is a little bit better than Kilgore. Kilgore is really, really run dependent. 
Uh, Lindale is run dependent, but they can throw the football there. You know, Kilgore, I would say is more of an 80, 20 team. Lindale's probably 60, 40 run pass ratio. So Lindale's got a little bit more ability to push the ball downfield and throw the ball. And I think Lindale's defense is really underrated and it's been really good all year. I mean, I saw them against Midlothian Heritage early in the year and they held a really explosive Heritage offense to 28 points in that ball game. And, and that, that's that's a Lindale defense that, that is really, really underrated. And I think those two things are, are the edge in this game. And that's why I like the Lindale Eagles to win the district title and establish themselves. Remember, I picked Lindale to win the region in our preseason poll. So they're making me look pretty good so far. I think they're establishing themselves as, as one of the two contenders uh, in Region 3 along with El Campo. Yeah, and I think that you know one thing I've been in, in, impressed with with Lindale – is I do think their defense has grown up. Um, I think that I think there were some shaky times early. Um, you now, admittedly, Gilmer, Van, Midlothian Heritage, Kaufman, tough non-district, but like I think their defense has grown up in a big way. And like here's a here's a big grown-up challenge against a big boy, physical, punch you in the mouth, Kilgore team. Um, yeah, I think this is a really fa- fantastic matchup, and and I think that you're right. Um, in, in a region. In a region that, like, the toughest team might win. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. all those teams are just, like, rock-solid, like, street fight-type teams. Uh, this is an important game to, to kind of determine where you slot uh, w- w- with all those teams. So, that's a good one. All right. I am going to go... Man, am I really going to do... Man, I guess I am, but I'm, I got to. Step, I'm... Call me Panhandle Tepper. Panhandle Tepper, because you're going to give me for my fifth pick, the 10th overall pick in the draft, you're going to give me a top five matchup in 2A Division Two. Just shows you how good this this week is. Just, just goes to show you. Let's go to Powell Field in Wellington as the Wellington Skyrockets welcome in the Wheeler Mustangs in, um, in yeah, a top five matchup. Uh, a Wheeler... I think I think I think Wellington's about where we thought they were going to be. Uh, we thought they were going to be very good. I think that that you know coming off of last year, we were like we're cautiously optimistic about Wellington, uh, and I think that they really set the tone early uh, in their opener when they played New Deal and they beat New Deal. That was a really impressive win. And then by the way, uh, probably a game nobody's talking about, but like they have a they have a win over Jacksboro, like yes. a three A team. It's a good 382 team. Yeah. So look, this is a Wellington team that is uh, is pretty serious. They're coming off of a bye week, but this is a Wellington team that I think we think is probably uh, the favorite to win Region One or Region One. Um, and this is a a team that that I'm I'm very intrigued to see how they are able to um, how they're able to run the ball because Mark Ramirez has been awesome. He's been incredible. But yeah, yeah, there's not much. But what else can you say about him? I mean, he's, he's puts, he gets it done on both sides of the ball, but his ability on the offensive side of the ball and that Wellington offensive line, that they just, they're really tough to slow down. I mean, he rolls out of bed and has 250 yards. I mean, he's been unbelievable uh, for them. Uh, and, of course, like the, the strength of that Wellington team is always, always up front, and they're very good uh, up front. Going up against a Wheeler team that I do think you could probably put into the category of like a little bit of a surprise. And um, I think that what they've done is that they they are they're they're tough to score on. 
Like they they are a team that their offense feeds their defense. They run the ball really well with David Ranskin. Uh, they they you know they're able to, to to run the ball a little bit with Heston Marshall. He can throw a bit as well. Um, but they keep their defense fresh. They get their defense on the you know and they hold on to the ball. Uh, I'm not sure they faced an explosive rushing attack like they're going to see from Wellington though. And that, to me, is going to be the difference. Um, fantastic matchup here. And as I mentioned, I do think that the winner of this game is the favorite in Region 1. Uh, you know, Vega might have something to say about it, but I still think I'd lean towards the winner of this game. Um, I, just, I think it's a chance to be really fun. And, and the computer, the computer uh, really likes Wellington, uh, I think, because they've been a lot more they've, – they've had the sexy numbers and they've played a tough schedule mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, like – if, if Wellington goes out there and they and they hammer Wheeler, then I wonder if I would be really comfortable naming at the very least three of the four regional winners in 2A Division II, uh, like right now. You know, like Wellington in Region 1. Mm-hmm. Um, Hamlet in two. 2. Martin in 3. Martin three. Who, knows, who knows in Region 4? I mean, region 4? Shrug emoji? Cristobal? Uh, Crystal, maybe. maybe. I mean, Fall City's still there. I mean, after that, I know. You know. So, anyway, that's my fifth and final pick. So, uh, the draft is over. Um, Step took San Francisco, Katie and Tompkins, Pleasant Grove, Gilmer, Sherilyn Pioneer and Sherilyn and Lindale Kilgore. I'm taking DeSoto, Cedar Hill, Amarillo, Tascosa, uh, Canadian Childress, Highland Park, Longview, and Wellington Wheeler. It is now time for the hipster game of the week, and I'm going to take the first hipster game of the week, so you can't take mine, which is <laughs> the most 2020 game of all time. We are going to – it's in Port Isabel, right? Uh, I think so. I think it's in PI. Okay. We're going to Port Isabel, and it's not as – yeah, it's at Port Isabel. It's not as wild ass as we thought it was going to be, but it's certainly pretty wild ass where – the 1-0 Raymondville Bearcats will visit the 0-1 Port Isabel Tarpons <laughs> for a playoff spot. Let's get it. Let's do it. Uh, so Port Isabel was able to pick up a game. We thought that they were going to go in and they were going to have a one-game season for a minute, but they were mm. able to pick up a game against PSJA Southwest, uh, a 5A team, and they hung tough but ended up losing. Um, 35-28. So they're 0-1. Um, they are now taking on Raymondville, who played Victoria West back on October 9th. Yes. And since then, it's been – before then and since then, it has been crickets. For they, yeah, they've had a couple of games canceled. They are supposed to play Hidalgo and Mission Vets, and they – yeah. They had both the games canceled due to they were in two. I think they're out of quarantine now, and, and they they could have played a game last week if they wanted, but I think they just decided to take the week off and get ready for Port Isabel because really their season comes down to this game. You know they they beat Port Isabel, they're in the playoffs as the third seed. If they lose, the season's over. So, so you can have you will have a team that is either two and zero oh in the playoffs, or you will have a team that is one and one and in the playoffs. And either way. That's just the dumbest thing. It's uh, just 2020. 2020. 2020 can go away. 
It's amazing. Anyway, that's my hipster game of the week is Raymondville and Port Isabel. What is your hipster game of the week? Uh, I'm going to say in South Texas. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit north to the coastal bend, though, as the uh, five and three Plashes Sharks take on the six and two Orange Grove Bulldogs in a game that is an elimination game. It's another one of those win in your end games uh, straight up for a playoff spot. I know uh, we've had Plashes coaches coach. Uh, on the uh, on TF today a while back in Orange Grove, uh, Mark Del Percio, the the Delaware legend, uh, his Bulldogs have had a good year this year. Uh, their only two losses are to um, uh, believe to their district if Van, uh, Industrial and Edna are the the yeah. two losses. Uh, so you know, Plashus and Orange Grove uh, basically playing straight up for for the a spot in in the postseason. The winner the winner goes, uh, the losers out. Uh, so I, I think it's one of those deals where uh, you know you you actually it's not for, it's not a win and you're in. It's a it's a seeding game. Excuse me. Uh, Plashus and Orange Grove are both in, but it's a matter of who gets the number one seed or the number three seed, uh, and that's big just from a, from a playoff positioning standpoint. So. Um, I like Orange Grove in this game. I, th- I think the Bulldogs' offense—they've got a really dynamic offense, and I think they've got just a little bit too much firepower for Palacios. But I think it'll be a uh, quite an entertaining game. Uh, I think I think so. Uh, that's actually a game I'm going to have. I'm recording the picks video a little bit later, and I'm I'm very interested in that one. And uh, yeah, uh, straight up for a playoff spot. So it's it's the fun time of year. All right, what's your schedule look like this week? So last night I was in. Quinlan for Nevada community in Quinlan Ford. Quinlan Ford won 40 to 13 to clinch the number three seed from district six, four, a division two Nevada community, probably going to get the number four seed. They got a win on Saturday um, to clinch officially against Wills point. Uh, so they're playing Saturday afternoon in a, in a COVID makeup game. Uh, that game was supposed to be played uh, a few weeks ago, but COVID pushed it back. So they're going to play Saturday afternoon, uh, Nevada wins. They're in the. They're in as the four seed. If they lose, all hell breaks loose. Uh, they'll have to go to weird tiebreakers to decide it because they'll have like a three-way tie for the last playoff spot. Uh, Thursday night, I'm actually going to Colleen on Thursday, going to Ooh. Buckley Stadium for a big game in. Is it twelve six a? Yeah, twelve six a. As the Bryan Vikings visit Colleen Shoemaker. Um, in a game that really has some playoff implications. Brian's off to a great start. Big win over Belton last week for the Vikings. Um, so Brian and Colleen and Shoemaker, uh, they've been just unbelievable all year. And they're kind of the team, I think, that's the chief challenger to Temple in 12-6A. But I think, uh, you know, this this game between Temp, uh, Brian and Shoemaker uh, could potentially, uh, you know, like I said, these, that's two of the top three teams in the district. So should be a really good game Thursday night in Colleen. Uh, Friday, I'm going to be at uh, Mustang Panther Stadium in Grapevine for Red Oak and Colleyville Heritage. Uh, both teams two and zero in district play. Uh, we kind of forgot about Red Oak. They kind of, you know, they had, they laid that egg against Ennis in Week One and then missed two games because of COVID. Uh, but they're back and they're playing very well. I think they've kind of got some of their issues worked out. Uh, they're playing really good football in that right now, and I think we can we've learned to. Uh, maybe forgive them a little bit for the Ennis game because we've seen how uh, good Ennis has been uh, early on. And then uh, Saturday afternoon, i got a noon kickoff Saturday in Cooper, Cooper, Texas. That's Cooper in Northeast Texas, uh, just south of Paris, as Alba Golden takes on the Cooper Bulldogs in another COVID makeup game that we played Saturday at noon. Uh, Cooper looks to uh, wrap up an undefeated district season in District 6-2A Division One. It's a uh, it's a big week 
it's a huge week, and so and we we have already had some some movements and cancellation. Um, for example, Alito and Timberview got got banged. Alito's got an outbreak. Um, let's Lubbock Cooper and Wichita Falls Rider. Yeah, that game's gone. Um, let me see if I can find. I, I like to tell you where our reporters are going. Here we go. This was originally. So we are going to have. Um, we were going to be at uh, Lido and Timberview. We're not obviously anymore. Uh, Austin Iron will be at Wellington. Paige Norbach will be at Canadian and Childress. Whitley Pleasant was going to be at Ryder and Cooper. I think we might be sending her to. Um, Amarillo and Tascosa. Yeah, Amarillo and Tascosa, maybe. Um, Cal, uh, Katie Engelson will be at Cal Allen and Portland Havana Calhoun, a game we didn't mention, which is a banger. Uh, yeah, we, really, did, we didn't mention Calhoun and, Port, and Cal Allen. That's how good of a week it is. Yeah, uh, Calhoun and Cal Allen's a great, great game. Uh, Sarah Merrifield's at Longview and Highland Park. Ashley Pickle is at DeSoto and Cedar Hill. And Lauren Blackwell is at Pleasant Grove and Gilmer. By the way, next week, programming note, uh, we're going to start doing two Teppin steps. Um, at least That's during right. that four weeks. Because uh, we we made the decision that uh, the only way to make sure that we are um, being fair to everybody involved with the different circumstances is uh, to split it up. So we'll have a 6A, 5A podcast, and we'll have a 4A and below podcast. We will probably – they'll probably be a little bit shorter. Each of them will probably be about 45 minutes as opposed to this, what's going to be an hour and 20-minute beast. Um, so, uh, But, yeah, so next week you can look for two. Tapping stuff because we love you very much. Um, okay, that's it. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for spending a little bit of your day with us. Thanks for being a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider. Please tell your friends to subscribe at texasfootball.com. Stuff, thanks for your courage. Thank you. See you next time on Tapping Stuff.